we have these crossroads. And you know, either way you choose, your life is going to be different. The universe doesn't exist, but God thinks it does. We have to stop consuming our culture. We have to create culture. Stupidity has a definite evolutionary function. I am all for abolishing stupidity, but before it goes, we should pay tribute to it. Greetings, dear listeners. Welcome to the Nonsense Bazaar. We're your hosts. I'm Willow Truman. I'm Sequoia Kennedy. And boy, oh boy, we have another story for you folks today. Boy, oh boy. Boy, howdy. Another tale. Yes. (laughs) Not the tale between my legs, a different type of tale. Mm. It might be one that you've heard of before. Uh, Maybe not. It wasn't one I've heard of before. We're going to go in depth on this story. If you have heard it before, you've probably listened to maybe like a 40 minute podcast on it. Mm-mm. No, we're doing two parts. This is two parter because it deserves it. And we're not even going to get to to the big meat of the story. We're not even going to get to the new Messiah, heaven's last, best, most perfect <sighs> gift today. Oh, my God. I know. That's for, that's for part two. That's next week. Yeah. OK. Today, we're just going to be setting up. The time period. We're going back to the 1840s. We've been there before with the Oneida community. Yes. The perfectionist. Yes, yes. Same time, same place, same (laughs) mood. It was arguably crazier back then. It was just slower. (laughs) Yes. You know? We got another commune in the works. Oh, my goodness. Part two. Yep. Another one of those. Yeah. So So uh, what's the, what are we, what the hell are we talking about? John Murray Spear. Another three-name guy, too. Of course. (laughs) And another John. Yeah. There's never enough Johns. Apparently not. No. So, like, what did he do? Why are we talking about him? Well, he was a super cool abolitionist and and all of that. But that's not what he's known for. He's known because uh, a group of disembodied spirits, including that of Benjamin Franklin. Hell yeah. Helped him to construct a machine that was to become the new Messiah. They were going to breathe (laughs) the life of God into this machine and make it come to life, (laughs) which would revolutionize the world and society as we know it and make everyone have a better life. And this was, this was before the transistor. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Was it like steam powered? Uh, We'll, we'll talk about what powered it. (laughs) All right. All right. right. Oh, pain. Oh, I mean, love. honestly, a robot in the 1800s. Pain and love and the glory of God. It would be the only thing power that power the machine. That's the only thing that could. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the uh, the telegram had just came out and that that was fucking huge. That was crazy. Oh, yeah. That. Imagine being able to send messages across long distances for the first time. Yeah. No. Mind blowing. No wonder they thought they could talk to ghosts, too. It's like, well, anything's possible. Yeah. I mean, it has like. You know, the Internet is arguably a more, I don't know, impactful um, innovation. But like, totally. I don't even know. because, Like, I almost think like the telegram was probably more mind blowing. Right. And probably made them dream up a. A world of new possibilities. Yeah. An insane future, you know, yep. like. Yeah. So it's time to do what we do. Our tarot poll. Yes, it is. Get a feel for the episode. And we'll talk about it at the end. Okay. Thinking about heaven's last most perfect gift. It's this one. The sun. The sun. I love it. Nice. You gotta love the sun as a card. It's just... I do. It's an interesting card. It's uh, 
It is. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Cool. Oh, we haven't. That's one we have not pulled before. We haven't. I don't. I don't believe so. I don't. Uh, hmm. I don't know. We may have. We may. Have. Someday we'll know. <laughs> Someday I'll go back and I'll make that list. All right. You want to play some music? Yeah. Got it. <laughs> yes. God damn, that's a good song. It is, yeah. I love how the still the only way you can listen to it is from a video on YouTube from 2009. Yep. It's just not on Spotify. <laughs> it's just like, you either need to own this record, which you should. Yeah. Uh, or go to a YouTube video from 2009. Yeah, yeah, that song goes out to a John Murray Spears Association of Electrizers, which was the group of spirits helping him to create the new Messiah. Excellent. Yeah, I've got... Benjamin Franklin in there. He's an Jefferson. Oh, yeah. John Quincy Adams. Yeah. Benjamin Rush. All, all. So it's just the founding fathers. Yeah. He had a few okay. different associations. Like there was one of the electrizers. Then he okay. had like the agriculturizers. And like there's a, and they all included a variety of different like famous dead people. Gotcha. In the different associations. Yeah. But okay. In order to understand John Murray Spear, we got to spend a big hunk of time talking about the historical and theological context for his beliefs and his interest in spiritualism that occurred later in life. Like we want to, once we get to that, we want to understand what that is. I can hear them throwing their phones against the wall. Yeah, no, this is going to be fun. <laughs> it's going to be fun. So spiritualism. Yes. What? You know, when we hear that, it, it kind of refers to a broad range of things. It does. Uh I feel like a lot of people probably think of, although, you know, I've been hearing people who refer to themselves as spiritual. <clears throat> mm -hmm. I've been hearing the word spiritualist thrown around in the last couple months to refer to those people, which is right, odd. Instead of this. It works, but right. it's odd. But spiritualism is much more about spirits. Yeah. Discarnated entities, mm -hmm. seances, shit like that. There was a spiritualist church on my college campus. Yeah. I've been there since the 1800s. Yeah, we've mentioned this before. Yeah. I need to take a trip down there sometime. Totally. So American historian Lewis Fuller, he referred to spiritualism as being conceived in fraud, a phenomenon of religious unrest and exploration. And yet, the implications of spiritualism and its place within American history extend far beyond the indictment that the masses are gullible. It was all of a fraud. It was blah, blah, blah. It usually does. Yeah, I mean, sure. A bunch of people fell for the Fox sisters cracking their weird little toes and <laughs> claiming that it was the spirits knocking. It's a good trick. It is. But, okay, what about the connection between spiritualism and antebellum reform efforts? Yeah. What about, you know what, that's probably where historian 
Lewis Fuller's frustrations came in, and why he focused on the fraudulent aspect of spiritualism. There were a lot of promising scientists, abolitionists, anti-slavery preachers who, in Fuller's point of view, had discovered spiritualism and shifted their efforts to more mystical endeavors. Like, mm. you know, how how dare they? Like they gave up their, mm-hmm. their previous work? I mean, you know. For example, there was this one dude, Leroy Sunderland. Great name. He was a leading figure in the 1830s Methodist abolition movement until he discovered mesmerism, spiritualism, and phrenology yeah. and synthesized it into his own ideology named pathetism and... You know, Leroy Sunderland, he was far from the only abolitionist to get sucked into the spiritualist scene. But the thing is, a lot of these abolitionists turned spiritualists, they didn't lose their moral convictions. Mm. They continued to fight for their causes. Okay. It was, so is this, do you just, you just thought they made themselves look silly? Yeah. 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 They, he just, a lot of people really downplayed how many important scientists, ministers, reformers were seriously into spiritualism. Yeah. And at the time, it actually wasn't that ridiculous, to be quite honest. I mean, no more ridiculous than anything else. No. And like I said, when people think of spiritualism, they usually think of the Fox sisters from New York and all those hoaxes. But the true origins of modern American spiritualism actually trace back to 18th century France, Mm. 18th century Europe. Mm. There were the French mesmerists, the German somnambulists. Sleepwalkers? Uh-huh. What'd they do? Is just people sleepwalking? Mm-hmm. Oh. It was like this idea that people could go other places. Um, oh, like early astral a, projection? Yeah, like, okay. like that sort of stuff. Germans used somnambulism as sort of a stand-in word for trance state or hypnosis. Oh, okay. Just kind of, kind of like how mesmerism is also like a yeah, yeah, yeah. precursor to hypnosis yeah 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 and then spiritualism also got some of its roots because this old guy emmanuel swedenborg yes the swedish philosopher imagine being from sweden and your last name is swedenborg yeah it's pretty cool yeah yeah but yeah once his uh, works were translated into english in america mm, just like set a fire He's interesting. We got to cover him at some point. Yeah, we're going to talk. We're going to talk a little bit about all of these, uh, about about the mesmer, about the. Yeah, because like I said, this is where spiritualism gets its roots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing you find is that it it all keeps going back. It's all tied to. Oh, I could take it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ever and ever. Literally the whole way. We could talk forever. Yeah. So mesmerism, also known as animal magnetism. Yeah. It originated with a French dude, Anton Mesmer, who in 1776 developed a theory that there exists a mutual influence between the celestial bodies, the earth, and animal bodies. That's us. Mm. According to Mesmer, a universal fluid flows between all of the bodies, and through the use of magnets, he could remove disease from people. Mm. A close study of the effects of Mesmer's treatments on his patients revealed that He had actually just been hypnotizing them, Ah. whether he meant to or not, but Mm. he he was hypnotizing people. His ideas kind of went on the decline in France, but they did end up coming over here. To America? Yes. Yes. More so under the name animal magnetism. Yeah. Yeah. For a long time, I didn't realize that those two things were connected. I thought animal magnetism was just like a turn of phrase or something. Yeah. I thought it referred to... Something different. Yeah. Well, 
it took until uh, the 1840s for animal magnetism to come over here, even though mesmerism had been thought up in the 1770s. So it, it kind of took a while, took right, like right. 70 years. But it's here, yay, thanks to a bunch of European medical men that came here to talk about it. Right. Bunch of European hypnotists coming here to test out their their stuff. Right, right. But also, this was thought of as like a legitimate medical science at the time. Because it was being used to help people uh, go into a trance state for surgeries. Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah so yeah, yeah. they were trying to think of like the practical applications of this within the medical and scientific field. Because we don't, we didn't really know what's going on in our bodies or how uh, electricity, or how the universe works. It's I mean, all a bunch of... Sure. I, I think a thing with a lot of, a lot of these people... Um, and people now, I mean, shit that would be considered magic, mm-hmm. um, is that, you know, he says he's talking about magnetism and electricity and all this, mm-hmm. stuff, right? And then when they actually find out that it's like what magnetism and electricity actually do or are or whatever, they're like, oh, so his ideas were fucking nonsense. No, he was just wrong about the word he was using. Yeah. Because what this animal magnetism or whatever that he's talking about is really just, you know, to get scientific, like, It's really just the gestalt of all these different influences, Mm -hmm. whether it's pheromones or, um, you know, locking eyes with someone or even hypnotist tricks like the uh, swinging, like the swinging watch or the swinging pendulum or whatever. There's there's a real, like your brain does something weird when you move your eyes back and forth Mm -hmm. rhythmically, like it, it changes the connections it's making and stuff. And all of this could be seen as this type of magnetism or something, the, 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 the charismatic force that makes some people drawn to someone for no discernible reason. Well, there aren't reasons. It's just a whole bunch of reasons yeah. that we're kind of poetically tying together. Exactly. Right. Which is a, a it's people making their best guesses. It's po- poetic shorthand too. Yeah. Is, is and best naming guesses too. Yep. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's a good way to think about some of this stuff. So there's all these animal magnetism, mesmerism guys running around America who also picked up on this German guy's ideas, Franz Joseph Gall, mm. he came up with phrenology. Well, th- that's just stupid. Yeah. Let me look at your head. Yeah. <laughs> he had this idea that human behavior is determined by the structure of the brain and what happens in the brain, which honestly, not too it, that's not. It's not that. It's not that wrong. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's pretty, our, our brain affects our behavior. He split the brain into 37 distinct organs and, uh, he also thought that his his research, he was brought to the conclusion that people are evil. <laughs> people are just evil and the evil lurks in the brain. Uh, thought it lurked in the balls. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, so Gall, phrenologist, German guy. Yeah. He has a student, right? Johann yeah. Gasper Spursheim. Jesus. And he's, kind of, he's the guy who really helped bring phrenolo- phrenology over to America and he's a little bit more optimistic. Like, he doesn't think that all people are evil. He actually thinks that all people are good. Aw. So, cool. <laughs> I don't agree with either. All right. Spursheim took uh, the message to London, then to Edinburgh, then over to the U.S. And, you know, like we said, these things kind of sound silly to us now. But at the time, this is innovative science and discovery. Yeah. I mean, like, it, it makes sense, too. They thought that this knowledge would unlock how to make everything better. If only we understood what the fuck is wrong with people. <laughs> you know, we could just make them better. 
Which is still what we're yeah, doing. The endless search. Right now. Yeah. Mm. So the national temperament of the time, 1840s, it's ripe for spiritualism. Yeah. Like we talked about in our Oneida community episodes. You, know, you think about it, like that's the first, that's an, that's an American century, you know? Yeah. It's real. It's the first, like the timing works out so that, you know, now America is a country, 1800. Mm-hmm. We're doing it. It's a new country. It's the first like yeah. new ass country, you know? Uh, it makes sense. Pushing boundaries. Mm-hmm. Getting weird with it. Mm-hmm. The religious landscape of America was shifting. The Methodist and Baptist churches were challenging the long-held Calvinist ideology that we could never be redeemed of our sin within our lifetimes. And we would have to wait to die in order to be forgiven. The Calvinists believed that God's influence was confined to church authority because they were vessels of God. But people were starting to question, okay, um, what if we're vessels for God? What if I'm a vessel for God? So these new beliefs were coming out stating that Maybe instead of having to wait for death to be judged, maybe we could save ourselves while we're still alive. Maybe our fates aren't predetermined. Maybe we could be saved right now. Or maybe we've actually been saved from the start because after all, what the fuck did Jesus die for? I mean, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I I get it. But within their No, I get it. I get it. I get it. Yeah. yeah. So um, it's interesting because like, America was was formed partially due to escaping religious persecution. And now it's like the this paradigm is shifting again. I mean, it's ever shifting. It always is. Yeah. It also it's, it, it's heating up. It kind of speaks to like the kind of can do attitude of American mythology. Yeah. You know, like we can save ourselves right now. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, it's 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 plucky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, taking the revolt against Calvinism even further than the Methodists and Baptists were the Universalists and the American Transcendentalists. Hmm. The Universalist Church of the United States dates back to the year 1770, when English emigrant John Murray was called to Gloucester, Massachusetts to preach. John Murray, not John Murray. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. John Murray believed that we could all experience universal salvation thanks to Christ's sacrifice, which was meant to alleviate all of humanity of their guilt and sin. But, of course, we have to acknowledge the act as being redemptive and important in order to reap the benefits of being saved. So you can be, you, you, you've you been saved, you just have to, you just have to obey Christ. You just have Christ. to, you gotta let him in. Yeah, you, yeah. You know. Well, John Murray's story begins in England. He had been a Calvinist. But once he started talking about this idea that, Maybe the entire universe could be saved, like, while we're all alive. Hmm. Um, he was ostracized from his church, which, by the way, was really important to him because church, like, super integral to people's lives at the time. It's like oh, yeah. a community, like, you know. So, yeah, um, loses his entire community, all his friends, his family's devastated. Then him and his wife have a baby. And that's that's happy. Yay. Yeah. Oh, shit. Wife and child get really sick. Oh, no. John Murray goes into debt paying for their medical treatments, tries to save wife and baby. Mm, useless. They die anyway. Holy shit. So wife and child dead, penniless, ostracized. John gets thrown into debtor's prison. Oh, my God. Because he can't pay the debt. Poor fuck. What the fuck? Yeah. yeah. Luckily, his 
brother-in-law comes along to pay the debt, which is when John Murray's like, fuck it. I'm I'm going to America. I'm going to start a new life. Hell yeah. <laughs> That's what he had to do. Yeah. And he disavows the idea of universalism, that the whole universe... He's like, that got me into too much trouble. <laughs> yeah. My wife and child are dead. I, I really pissed off the big guy upstairs. Yeah. So he gets on a ship. He's headed for New York. But the wind blows them off course. And of course, they get stuck in Joyzee instead. <laughs> like, literally stuck. The ship gets stuck in the <laughs> And the wind is just going like crazy. So, like, oh, the ship wow. can't move anywhere. It's kind of just, like, stuck there, held in place by the wind. Yeah. So, John runs to shore to get some food to bring back. And while he's on shore getting food, he meets this guy, Thomas Potter, at the market. And... Tommy Potts got a, a chapel waiting for a preacher. <laughs> Just waiting for a preacher. Just waiting for a preacher. But Thomas Potter wants a preacher who's willing to teach universal salvation. It seems like it couldn't be more perfect. You know, the chapel, it had literally just been waiting there for a decade without a preacher. It was just built and there. That's, that's. Just that's, waiting for John Murray to arrive in 1770. That's wild. Except John says is. no. He doesn't want to get wrapped up in universalism. It hasn't done him any good. But then Thomas is like, listen, that wind keeping your ship stuck, that's the breath of God. And God is going to continue to cause the wind to blow until you decide to preach at my chapel. Who the fuck is this guy? Yeah. If the wind is still blowing on Sunday, will you accept that it is God's will that you preach at my church? John Murray thinks about it and he's like... Yeah, I'll do it. This dude, like, he's like, he's putting together churches like so boy manipulative. Bands. Like, he's yeah. just like, I, I got this church I set up. I, I'm just waiting for the right. Yeah. Waiting for the lead, the leading man. And yep. here you are. Yeah. So ob obviously the winds kept blowing until Sunday. Otherwise, mm. no, we wouldn't be talking about we wouldn't it. Wouldn't be talking about him. So yeah, John Murray, he creates the Universalists who believed that God wouldn't create us just. To doom us to fail. I mean, you should have seen the things I did to my action figures. Oh, my God. The things I've done to my Sims. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I'll throw a mention about the Transcendentalists, hmm. also known as the New England Transcendentalists. Yeah. They saw a spark of God and every soul believed that God was a unifying force. Every soul is connected to God. Every soul is connected to each other. And also, like, we don't even have to talk about it like god god's not even the central thing we're, we're talking about other stuff the transcendentalists were super groovy a lot yeah, of them were cool. critics and questioners of societal institutions they really questioned organized religion mm -hmm. industrialized society mm. slavery subjugation of women they're all about the good stuff they're cool the transcendentalists were also really into the work of emmanuel swedenborg ah okay yeah the transcendentalists viewed a synthesis of religion and science as an avenue towards human and societal perfection. That's like, so that that's an idea. That's, that's what makes them everybody. unique. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it doesn't even make them unique. It makes them the same as everybody, but also. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about anything that came before them, but I'm thinking about like, I mean, theosophy. Yeah. True. I mean, a yeah. lot of these. Uh, well, this is like right around the same time as. Well, it's a little before. It's a little bit before. It's, it's, it's quite. It's a bit before. I mean, I know Blavatsky was very yeah. influenced by Swedenborg and shit. And um, I mean, even um, even Crowley's uh, the 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 methods of science, the aim of religion mm -hmm. statement. Like, yeah, yeah. It's just interesting that there's nothing new under the sun ever. Yeah. Yeah. 
What I like about transcendentalists is that they're like, they they keep on the sunny side. Yeah. You know? They're yeah, like, yeah. I think, I think everything will work out. I think that there's a, a greater good that exists in the universe. And I like that. That's I mean, comforting to think about. Swedenborg's uh, kind of philosophical lineage is 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 quite confectionary. It's it's a bit saccharine sweet. Yeah, it's uh, adds a lot of people looking for a world where everything's beautiful and nothing hurts. Mm. Mm. But maybe they are right. Maybe they found it. So Swedenborg, he was born in Stockholm, sixteen eighty eight. He was a scientist, a mystic, and by seventeen forty, he had reached varying degrees of accomplishment and. A variety of fields, astronomy, physics, chemistry, physiology, mineralogy. <laughs> but his studies were dedicated to seeking answers to fundamental questions like the relationship between matter and spirit. Like, bro, where are, where are our thoughts? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where do our thoughts go when we're done thinking them? You know, you see, Swedenborg, he, he also had a talent for clairvoyance. Mm-hmm. Like there is this one time. He uh, he was in Stockholm and he started to describe the details of this disastrous fire that turned out to be happening at the moment he was describing it 300 miles away in Gothenburg. Mm-hmm. He also correctly announced the death of Russian Emperor Peter III before the public even knew. And he did shit like that all the time. Yeah, that's kind of his thing. Yeah. He would just have these. It wasn't like uh, it wasn't like some some asshole like cult leader or something making predictions like. Just really nilly, like, look at me, I'm about to make a prediction. Now, I'd like have these things come upon him. So the story mm-hmm. goes, like, it wasn't, he didn't go looking for predictions to make. It would just happen to him and it'd be like a couple guys with him and be like, yo, there's a fire going on. Yeah. Shit like that. Interesting character. Swedenborg. Mm-hmm. In 1743, so Swedenborg starts having these long hallucinatory dreams, right? Where he's traveling beyond life and death into other realms and other mm. planets. And for the next 30 years, he compiles writings of these trance experiences. And he asserted that his writings represented the second coming. Oh. Instead of the Messiah arriving in person to initiate the millennium, God had chosen Swedenborg to publish and disperse the spiritual truth through text. <sighs> Swedenborg was God's representative here to establish a, a new church, a, a new Jerusalem. And Following his death, the Church of the New Jerusalem was formed first by England in 1776, coming to America 14 years later in 1800. Mm. However, his work wasn't even translated into English until 40 years later in 1840. Oh, weird. Okay. That's when his ideas found their way to the Universalists, the Transcendentalists, and other places. Interesting. Yep. So seven years after they're translated into English... American interest in Swedenborg grows even more because of this guy, Andrew Jackson Davis. Hmm. He's being visited by Swedenborg's spirit. (laughs) And he's writing a bunch of lengthy discourses given to him by the Swede himself. Oh, my. Andrew Jackson David, he was a formerly uneducated- Davis or David? David, what the fuck is with my- (laughs) You were going to town. Yeah, I must have been pounding it out. (laughs) That's how you can tell it's not copy-pasted. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Andrew Jackson Davis was a formerly uneducated Western New Yorker who had been apprenticing as a shoemaker when he was discovered by one of those English dudes who came here to talk about mesmerism. Hey, look, a cobbler. Yeah. (laughs) After this point, Andrew Jackson Davis became the Poughkeepsie seer 
Oh my God. Somehow, Kipsy's here. He could see into the townsfolk's bodies and diagnose their afflictions. And (sighs) just a year after being discovered, he was being rejoiced over. He's like a legend in his own right, and he inspired the legend we'll be discussing today. The Poughkeepsie Seer, dude. Of course he's a legend. Yep. You don't have a title like that, and just, that's a title people want to tell others about. Yeah. Poughkeepsie Seer. So yeah, for a long time, scholars have downplayed or flat out ignored the importance of spiritualism, stating it was just another odd fad that came from New York's burned over district. Something that no Mm. literate and intelligent American ever gave second thought to. But that's just untrue. So many famous and articulate supporters of spiritualism were involved in radical reform movements or associated with liberal churches that participated in reform movements like the Universalists. Yeah. Many of them were accomplished authors, artists, and a lot of people interested in spiritualism made important scientific contributions. It's almost like... This quest for the unseen world to realize the unseen world leads to actual discoveries. Always has. And leads to great art. Always has. And always and always will. Uh, that's yeah. just, uh, it, there's never, it is like uh, philosophically fashionable now in the 21st century to try and separate those two things before all of human history. It's it's all linked. Mm-hmm. Like it, it is the people that do the, the dreaming up of new of new ways of thinking in the seekers are seekers sphere. Uh, yeah. Seekers are seekers. Like they, they're also the ones pushing the progress in the material realm too. Yep. Um, you know, we, we, we kind of have an association of religion and mysticism with being kind of traditional and, and stuck in the past. Yeah. So, and that has just not, that's just, I'd say that's not true for most of mm-hmm. um, human history. Like not, not, not every religion has been the fucking Vatican, you know? Yeah. And even, I mean, shit, even the Vatican, ton of astronomers, ton mm-hmm. of scientists. Like, actually, I think it's a pretty recent, I think we're all just thinking of like the deep South when we think of that. Yeah. Like, I, uh, yeah. <coughs> which, which would, which, which would make that. I do uh, feel like our government is kind of a Christian theocracy. Yeah. No, I, it, not, it, not even kind of. No, I mean, uh, Kai, we're not, we're, we're not officially there yet, but you know, uh, but I think that that type of Christian, um, uh, reaction and, and regressiveness is a, I don't want to say it's like, it's a new thing. Cause it has happened before in many different mm-hmm. religions and stuff. It's a thing that happens. Yeah. Uh, is these regressive puritanical fundamentalist, uh, sects of religions get brought up and then they cause a lot of damage usually. Cause that's just kind of what, they're what people they that do. they're just not ready to leave the party. You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so many people are like, all right, this party's getting old. We're going to we're gonna go hop over to the next place. And they're, they're the guys that just want to stay. They just end up sleeping on under a table with a, a empty box of Coors Light over their heads. Yeah, yeah. So we talked about John Murray, the founder of the Universalist Church, right? Yes. Well, within his congregation, there were two generations of the Spear family. The Spears. Yes. And on September 16th, 1804, Mr. John Spear and his wife produced a son and named him after their minister and personal friend. And biological father. Yes. The baby was named John Murray Spear. (laughs) Finally, the subject of our episode. Fucking finally, we're here. Uh, It's only been a half an hour. Yeah. (laughs) 
Petitioning some stuff too. Yeah, question some things. Protesting. You know, why, yeah. why does everything suck so bad? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so they lived with their widowed mother and paternal grandparents. And John was known to tend to his grandparents' needs. And he was very sensitive to the welfare of abandoned animals. He was an animal lover all throughout his life, something many people said about him. He's a sweetheart. Yeah, he was always just like a sweet boy. Anytime you come across anything said about this man... It is so shiningly positive. Hell yeah. Like, Does he turn bad in the story? No. Fuck yeah. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm there so, there I'm are so people glad. that don't like him, but the reasons they don't like him is like, because he's not a racist. <laughs> you know? <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because they worked so hard and for so many hours, they, of course, they couldn't go to school, but right. uh, there was a Sunday school opened up by the factory. So they got a basic education. Right. They could read and write. They know where cotton comes from. Yeah. At age 17, John apprenticed to be a shoemaker in Abington, Massachusetts. Another cobbler. Yeah, another shoemaker. Where he uh, he started reading Universalist magazine. He attended a religious meeting conducted by Joshua Flagg, a Universalist minister who lit a fervor in John. Mm. After this meeting, John Murray Spear felt personally called to devote himself to ministry life. He spent months in poverty trying to raise the money to pay for his training as a minister, but his plan failed, and so did his health. Yep. Yeah. Utterly that in sucks. despair. Finally, a door opened for John. And it was opened by his brother, who no. had recently completed training to be a universalist minister and had some excellent connections. Okay. Yeah, his like brother just became Charles. A, yeah. What where where were you? Yeah, where you been this whole time? Yeah. John finally preaches his first sermon in 1828, and uh, two years after preaching his first sermon, John travels to Barnstable, Massachusetts. Cape where, Cod. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to be a minister of their 50-person congregation. Living the good life. Cape Cod, Barnstable, 50-person congregation. Oh, yeah. His salary was fixed at $400 a year. More than that now. Yeah, I don't That's know what, the, what the conversion rate is, but- Much more. Sounds pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, it- it said that it took him like months to raise $70. That's the $70 that he lost for his ministry training. So I imagine that 400 yeah, that's is, a, is yeah, a lot yeah, if it yeah. took him months to earn 70 Yeah. So it's here that 27-year-old John Spear meets his wife, Betsy Briggs. She's daughter to a family of prominent status, way more prominent and rich than he is. It's yeah. crazy that they got together. Well, he's a sweetheart. Yeah. And while they loved one another, they're... Marriage did always kind of take a backseat to John's other pursuits. They had a bunch of kids together. He loved her, but yeah, his his heart was kind of in his 
He's married his to other work. work, his great work. Yeah. yeah. Well, the town was tiny. There weren't that many gathering spots. So the church decided we're going to open our doors for some lecturers. But then it's put to a vote. The church decided we don't want any more abolitionist meetings here. So there was like abolitionists for Calvin and it started pissing off the town. Yeah. Started pissing off the yeah. town. So eight members leave the church because they're like, well, fuck that. Yeah. You're not going to allow people to speak here that are preaching for a good cause or looking for support for a good cause. And we out. And John Spear leaves too. And let's, let's remember abolition means ending slavery. <laughs> yes. And this is in Massachusetts. You can't. We, we just there can't keep everywhere. have people talking about ending slavery here in our church. Yeah. And the Universalist Church. Come on, guys. <laughs> Fucking A. Yeah. So, um. He goes over to New Bedford. He's going to preach there instead. This also ends in disharmony. Mm. In 1836, the radical abolitionist William Lloyd Garrison had been traveling through the town and he gets attacked. Like, so, a, like, like attacked? Like, it's unclear hmm. the meaning of attack. Okay. But Spear decides he's going to investigate the attack and he concludes that he's on Garrison's side. He decides to become a local champion of peace and freedom, and he's uh, he feels inspired to start getting involved in abolition work himself. Oh, yeah. There is this one time an enslaved woman, Lucy Faggins, not going to say anything. Named him different back then. Was traveling with the family that owned her and visiting New Bedford, which was home to a sizable community of freed slaves. Spear managed to arrange the legal process through which Faggins was able to opt for freedom. So... Took her away from the family that owned her, brought brought her to the court system and was like, can we do something? And yeah. And uh, for depriving the Southern family of their household <coughs> servant, as they would say, quote, quote, Spear sure. was vilified as a in public. He was known as a thief. Yes. Yeah. He was threatened with legal action and forced to resign from the pulpit. That's right, for because he was a thief for letting enslaved people be free. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm wondering what that process is like. You see, like, and he would do this time and time again. As soon as like, so this was before the 1850 Fugitive Slave Law, but once that law was passed, like, he was all about this, just like doing this whole rigmarole over and over again, looking for people just, traveling through the state, bringing them to the courthouse, getting you, them freed. How do you just? get him freed even before the before that law you have magic words it sounds like some sovereign citizen bullshit you just say the magic words it's like oh well i guess you're free now it's probably that because it would always be like southern families traveling through the state yeah so his logic was well if this is a free state how could anybody within the state be enslaved okay as long as they're here they're free right yeah right yeah 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 oh yeah so he found those those loopholes and he would also seek out people that were uh, sympathetic. To right, 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 right. I can see how um, some people would fucking hate this man. Oh, and they did. <laughs> they surely did. That's that's rad. Because he thought that it was really important for the Universalist Church to take a stand against slavery. Yeah. But he was so fired up about it and believed in his cause so much that he kind of lacked diplomacy. Yeah, yeah. Like every meeting, he was making proposals for anti-slavery resolutions to the church. And every step of the way, he just gets shut down and he's condemning his peers openly. Yeah. 
hey man, he believes in a thing that's um, you know, yeah. If you start seeing fundamental human rights, yeah. If you start seeing uh, the the people in chains as people, it's hard to shut up about that, right? <laughs> yeah. So he insists. He says universalists above all others should be untiring enemies of all crime, of all oppression, and of all slavery. But, of course, opposition to his anti-slavery efforts led Spear out of New Bedford because the congregation was financially suffering due to how much his personal convictions upset the townsfolk. People didn't want to come to the church. Man. He was too into the whole anti-slavery thing. <laughs> so off to Weymouth he goes, but only after checking with the members of the church yeah. that they were picking up what he's putting down. Yeah. He's like, yo, guys. How do you feel about slavery? Just, I just need to know. Yeah. So like, what year is this? What year is this? 1840. Okay. Yeah. So he, he gets to Weymouth in 1841. He stays there for four years. He puts a lot of effort into his cold water campaign, which is a, a temperance effort, anti-alcohol. Mm -hmm. He's very anti-alcohol because the world around him, a lot of the crimes taking place, a lot of the children suffering, he sees alcohol as a big problem in a lot of people's lives at the time. So he is against it. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people were. It's more a symptom than anything else, but... I agree. But the temperance stuff, not as important as the slavery stuff. Yeah. That was most important. And he would use the church as a platform for a lot of important speakers of the time because he was good at that. If he had a platform, he would step aside and let somebody else have it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, while associated with the church, he was also traveling to other places to spread the good word, and including Portland, Maine, where he got the shit beat out of him. <laughs> I mean, that'll happen. Yeah. It was yeah. Christmas Eve, 1844. He was attending a meeting of the Native American and Protestant Christians. The speech given by Reverend C. Sperry was apparently disagreeable to some of the local citizens, and one of whom piped up and said, can I respond to that? <laughs> and the audience... Is, is very disagreeable to this idea that of a debate. No. Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. So Spear speaks up and he says, basically, are you all a bunch of chickens? <laughs> what? what, you can't handle some free discussion? We can't have a back and forth of ideas? What's the deal? Yeah. Evidently, they were chickens because they beat him to the point of having spasms oh, all night. Oh, he my God. He had to God. spend weeks recuperating. Holy shit. Yeah. This guy, Oliver Dennett, friend, fellow abolitionist, yeah. stayed at his house. Oliver set him up, got him good. While recovering, Spears laying there and he's thinking, maybe this church stuff is getting in the way. <laughs> maybe, maybe my efforts would be better spent somewhere other than the church. Maybe. So he resigns, moves his family to Boston, and he starts laboring on behalf of slaves and acting as vice president of the Massachusetts Anti-Slavery Society, one of many vice presidents. I'm like, I keep, because of how many people we've covered who aren't this dude, I keep expecting a turn. I keep expecting yeah. a heel turn. Yeah. I love this guy. <laughs> so far. And yeah. Like, and continuing on, he's kind of awesome. Hell yeah. Yeah. So he's in Boston. He's resigned from the church. He decides, I'm, I'm going to just do my own thing. I don't want to be restricted by other people's wants of me. Different issue captures his attention. I hear the train a coming, it's rolling around the bend, and I ain't seen the sunshine since I don't know when. I'm stuck in Folsom Prison, and time keeps dragging on. 
Reform. Get super Hell yeah. into prison reform. Hell Capital yeah. Punishment also. Fuck yeah. Very against the death penalty. They're still Fuck hanging yeah. people at this time. Yeah. Public hangings. Yeah, like mean, that's a, that's what they're doing. They're realistically probably <laughs> less cruel than what we do now. Yeah. Yeah. So both John and his brother Charles, we cannot downplay Charles. Charles was just as into this prison reform stuff as John. Hell yeah. Equal amount, if not maybe a little eh, they were they had equal passion in different ways, different skill sets. Yeah, yeah. They start giving talks about prison reform and the abolition of capital punishment, and they start this newspaper titled Hangman. <laughs> Pretty provocative name. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, with the aim of improving conditions for prisoners and gaining sympathy for them and for victims of a, just the criminal social order in general, because so many people were just thrown in jail because they were traveling through the city didn't have enough funds on them, got drunk, did something fucking stupid. Yeah, yeah. Just ended up thrown in, or they're fucking kids. Right. So many kids just thrown in jail, can't pay the bail. Oh, too bad. Yeah, fuck them. Yeah. So um, at the end of the first year of the paper, which is doing pretty well, actually, they changed the title from Hangman to The Prisoner's Friend, which would also become the nicknames of both John and Charles. Word. By the way, you want to hear a fun fact about capital punishment? Sure. The first electric chair <laughs> was used a little bit after this time. 1890 yeah. was the first electric chair execution, and it took eight minutes, yeah, and did. they fucked it up. Yeah, they did. And it was created by a dentist, yeah, well, Alfred Southwick. Somehow, they thought the, the electric chair was going to be more humane than hanging people. Like, I mean, Dude. come on, guys. Come on. Yeah, it is, it's, that is, it's gruesome. What a so, fucked up thing we built. So much time, research, and energy devoted to how can we kill prisoners like the best way. Yeah. Just imagine all the failures, all of the trials, all of the fuck ups along the way. You shoot them if you have to. Like if you. Yeah, just execute them. Jesus Christ. Straight to the head. Yeah. But like. Or don't. Just don't. Yeah, <laughs> just don't exactly. Kill people. Don't fucking kill people. Don't do that. Just like reform the prison system entire. Like even today, they like prison reform is needed desperately. The, the giving the state power to kill is the slippery, slippery slope. slope possible. Slippery slope. It's yeah. The fucking thing. You don't give them the power to do. Jesus Christ. So John Spear, he's very much a boots on the ground type of guy. Yeah. He didn't just talk about his beliefs and convictions. He acted upon them. He put himself in the action so that he could report on things in excruciating detail. Like mm. Excruciating. He insisted upon things like witnessing hangings for himself. Shit. He wanted to be right in the action. He wanted to be locked in a prison dungeon to experience the reality of what they go through. He wow. wanted to really get in there and experience, see the gritty details and be able to tell people. Wow. Hell yeah. Yeah. And he didn't spare any details either. Holy shit, man. He uh, 
basically he had an encyclopedia in his mind of every prisoner slated to die. He would report on their cases. He wanted people to know who these people were. Yeah. Remember these men being to death. Because also a lot of false convictions at the time. Oh, yeah. And now too, still. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hasn't changed. And he also used the paper to put ministers on blast who were unwilling to say anything about anything. Who'd point them out, say, shame on you. Yeah. You should be talking, you should be using your platform to do something about this. Yeah. And like I said, he noticed that a lot of the people sitting in jails were just these fucking young men who didn't have the money to pay the small fine. So what John would do is he would basically just set up shop in the courthouse and just pay for people's bail all day. Just. Okay. Yeah. He just sent, just, he just hang out paying for bail. Yep. Hell Yeah. He also so used. Sick. I know. He also used the paper to speak against animal abuse. Like uh, there was one article where um, he talks about how he there's this guy in town known for beating his horses. Like there was one horse that was re- refusing to move, so the yeah. guy was just beating it and beating it. And John comes along and he's like, "My guy, let me show you how it's done." He just goes up to the horse's ear, kind of speaks gently to it, coaxes it, and it moves. It's fucking horse whisperer too? Yeah. Jesus I love this, this quote from him. The man who needlessly sets foot upon the worm is no friend of mine. <laughs> you would love that quote. Yeah. He was, uh, no, so yeah. He was really against violence when there were other solutions at hand. Fuck yeah, man. When uh, a major victory in the Mexican War took place, a lot of papers were reporting it very positively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For America. John reports it differently. Yeah. Doesn't mention any glory. Any victory or military success on behalf of the Americans. Instead, he writes about how he just couldn't stop thinking about the hundreds wounded and slain, the the wives made widows, the children made orphans. That's what he wrote about. Yeah. For for fucking why? <laughs> yeah. And like he's basically he's living kind of day to day. Like the money that he gets, he puts it out there immediately. He right, right. Keep for himself what he doesn't need. He's not a He's not necessarily a strategist. No. He's a rabble rouser. Yeah. So between 1848, 1852, John Murray Spear is working at a pace that would drive most people to their graves. It would drive most people fucking insane. Yeah. The paper began to change and take up more of a focus on philosophy and literature and art. Why? It's a good question. Yeah. Yeah. John's involvement with it ends. The exact reason isn't known, but it's thought that the income from the paper just wasn't enough to support both him and his brother. He could earn more money speaking. And besides, like we said, he's more of a boots on the ground person than a pen to the page. The new approach of the paper was kind of like talking about the history of prisons and comparative studies on the subject. Oh, smart fuck shit. John's approach was practical and direct. He was not an academic writer and did not want to be. He wanted to report on what was happening. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hell so yeah. For the next couple of years, he's kind of just like a lone wolf. He's not affiliated with the state, with the church, or any other entities besides for the multiple coalitions he's a part of on the side. He's just making money, talking, and through donations, and he's putting 100% of that money into independently helping individual people. Hell yeah. Yeah, like multiple people people a day even. For example, uh, he might encounter a young newspaper boy arrested for selling papers without a permit. 
discover the boy has no mom and an alcoholic dad that beats him up. Yeah. So Spear would pay for the fine, go buy the boy some clothes, and basically find him a, a new family in the country that he could go live with. Send him off to live on a farm. Yeah. Upstate. Yep. <laughs> I don't know if it's any better, but that's what he did. That's usually a euphemism for killing a dog. Yeah. <laughs> He helped people who were trapped in prison that couldn't read or write make contact with their families. Like, hey, you need me to get a letter to anybody? I'll I'll write it for you. Excellent. He helped people get jobs. He helped people find transportation if they had come from the country and were stuck in the city. Uh, He helped people find food, housing, you, you name it. And without wanting anything in return because he considered it his Christian duty. Hell yeah. He's like a very rare specimen, this man. Yeah. Yeah. Also, all the money that he had ever lent out to people, it got repaid to him. Really? Well, yeah. Yeah. It, between, in just one year, in just one year, 1851 to 1852, he lent over $10,000 to people. Whoa. And received every cent of it back. <laughs> he developed a close personal relationship with the borrowers. He wasn't just this like nameless, faceless yeah. entity. He wow. helped them and they felt personally indebted to him. That's incredible. He meant quite a lot to a lot of people, I imagine. I can, I can imagine. Yeah. It's fucking, it's, that's incredible. So his friends keep urging him like, hey man, maybe you should like start a society or like some organized effort. Maybe, do you want any help? Right. <laughs> no. He wanted, in his words, he thought that the greatest good could be accomplished in a quiet individual way. If everyone was like him, then yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But I, I, I really respect that. I mean, and it's like, I hope those friends went on to just like start an organization anyway. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So he started to devote himself, not just to transforming the prison system, but he was thinking about the restructuring of society as a whole, because he realized that it wasn't just up to individuals, you know? Oh, good. He did realize that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He realized that it was everything. Yeah. He could help out as many individuals as he wanted, and that's good work. That's purposeful work, and he's happy to do it. Yeah. But you could help out people every day. It's not going to solve the problem because the problem- the world's is too big. Deeper than that. Yeah. It's a societal problem. He gets exposed to spiritualism through the works of Andrew Jackson Davis. Ah. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, it must be maddening. Yeah. You know, to like, it's a, it's like trying to- Trying to hold back the ocean. Right. One person against an evil society. Mm-hmm. Doesn't. And you he's see. Gotta have his association behind him to help him out. Yeah. All the associations. But this is, we're not quite there yet. His first face-to-face encounter with the spiritualist phenomenon takes place in New Hampshire when he goes to see a, a most excellent medium who receives a message from John's infant son who had died at just two months old. And the medium, of course, tells him, how many people do you think back then had dead infant sons? A lot. Yeah, a fuck ton, probably. So who knows what, I don't know what to make of this medium. But she told him. I mean. And this is as the baby. He was probably a known quantity. Yeah. You know. A lot of them. Well, he's not a known spiritualist yet. No, but but he's a person. Yeah. Once he starts exercising his own spiritualist powers and getting into stuff, the other spiritualists do not like him, <laughs> which is interesting. And yeah. his method kind of differs from theirs, too. So, yeah, this medium gets a message from the two-month-old who says, 
beautiful is the heavenly sphere in which I move. Dear father, I am with you to comfort you and soothe your weary mind. Oh, great. Yeah. And then the medium also gets a second communication. This time it's with a dead friend of Spears, uh, fellow abolitionist, Nathan Rogers, who comes in to basically say, keep going, dude, I'm with you. And I just, <laughs> Spear really enjoyed receiving these messages. He wanted to believe them. Yeah. He, he felt that there was more out there than we can see. Yeah. He didn't just feel it. He he knew it. He had felt an invisible hand guiding him throughout his life. He himself had communed with higher intelligences. So why couldn't others? Why? He's not so special. If this medium's getting messages, yeah. and the messages seem accurate and they're resonating. Well, why not? I mean, he's a godly man. He's a dude who, you know, walks by faith. Yeah. Uh, you know? Yeah. So on March 31st, 1852... This is when John Spear channels his first message from the other side. Okay. And it comes in the form of automatic writing. So ah. he's just sitting there. He's hanging out and his hand is just moving. It's just writing along. He doesn't even know what it's writing. Yeah, yeah. He's His hand is receiving a message. It's from Oliver Dennett, the guy who nursed him back to health after the beating in Portland. Oh, shit. He's died since then. Yeah. But Oliver's coming through to say, hey, and he instructs John, uh, Need you to travel 20 miles south of Boston to Abington. You're going to yeah. find a man named David Vining. And the, the letter ends with the message, go, 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 <laughs> Jesus go. Christ. At first, John's like, what the fuck? But then his hand starts moving again. And Oliver is like, just listen to me. Just, <laughs> just go there and uh, I'll, I'll instruct you further once you get there. Okay? Yeah. Just chill. <laughs> I'll be in touch with you again. So, yeah, John goes to Abington. Yeah. There's no man named David Vining there. <laughs> he asks around. Turns out David Vining is in Weymouth. Well, John's hand starts moving, receiving a message. And it says, in the spirit world, we do not regard town or other boundaries. <laughs> Fuck you, spirits. So why can't I just stay home? Yeah. So John travels to Weymouth. He finds this David guy. The David guy is super sick. John touches his head, tells him some nice stuff. Guy gets better. What the fuck? Yeah. He just lays lays hands on him, heals him? Yeah. What? Hold up. He gets a message to go 20 miles south. Mm-hmm. Abington. With a specific name. Yeah. Homeboy's not there. Yeah. He's in some other fucking town. Uh-huh. And then he just heals him. Yeah. It's weird. Super weird. <laughs> what, the what the fuck is this? Yeah. <laughs> okay. You ever heard of this man before? It's just some dude. Who is this guy? Yeah, I don't know. Just some fucking guy. Uh, apparently, he's got more heads to touch, though. Okay. Because he has a daughter, Sephronia, who's also skilled medium. I guess she she gets messages too, and she's like, "Dad, so and so is sick. You got to go be with her." This woman is a family friend. Yeah, yeah. Who, as far as they knew, was was just fine. Yeah. You know, doesn't live nearby, or not too nearby. John's like, "Well, gee, I, I, I had no idea." Okay, so he goes. Touches the woman's head. Woman gets better. You know what he does when he touches these people? He basically gives them a pep talk. He like touches their head and he's like, you are so loved. Aww. Your smile lights up every room. You're amazing. And the world is a better place because you're in it. Like he just, he just says a bunch so of like sweet. nice shit to people. And I think that that like, is that the healing power? Does he just make people feel good and special and and gives them a will to fight. Yeah, I don't know. Gives them the placebo to push because placebos do things. 
Oh, yeah. So if they think yeah. that they're going to get better and this gives their immune system the push to work a little harder, then I guess in a way it might work. Fight in spirit, man. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe fucking heals them. Who knows? Who knows? Then something even more crazy happens. Okay. There's a woman in Georgetown, Massachusetts, who gets struck by lightning. Ooh. She recovers more or less, but she's still having trouble breathing a few days later. That's all cooked. He just so happens to be traveling through Georgetown with a couple of friends who are also in the spiritualist tradition. One of them's a medium, and she's like, hey, there's a woman that was struck by lightning. You need to go visit her. <laughs> uh, signed, Franklin. Franklin. <laughs> signed, Franklin. <laughs> so this medium friend gives him this message. Go visit the lightning woman. Signed, Franklin. What the fuck? So John obeys Franklin. Walks to the home of the victim, which is one and a half miles away. He's very exhausted, but throughout the course of the walk, his energy is picking up. And uh, him and this woman, they raise their hands together, like palm to palm, about yeah. two or three inches apart, so that there's like a little bit of space in between yeah, their gap. hands. And all of a sudden, all the pain in the woman's chest burst into John's chest. And he feels terrible for like an hour or two. But the woman immediately feels better. John now feels like shit, but the woman is better. You fucking do the green mile thing? <laughs> Jesus. So after this incident, the use of John's healing powers become almost a, a daily event. He also starts engaging in the practice of spirit drawings, which I could not find any fucking pictures of. But one author puts it, the drawings seem beyond the comprehension of mortals. So who knows what the drawings <laughs> I mean, is it just like automatic like drawing? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he also starts hearing like this buzzing sound in his head, like this loud ringing. Oh, he shouldn't and, be sucking up so much secondhand lightning. Yeah. <laughs> and when, when he hears this ringing, he recognizes that to like, it doesn't contain the message, but it's almost like that's the thing that lets him know that the, the portal or the channel is open for okay. him to receive messages. So yeah, yeah, yeah. hearing these weird sounds in his head, he's doing spirit drawings, he's doing these healings that seem to be working. And by the way, he's like totally sincere about all of this. Everybody is. Yeah. I mean, how much is this like documented? Quite well. Interesting. And like, yeah, for most of John's life, he was living at the brink of poverty. He owned basically enough money to sustain him and his family for a few days at a time. Yeah. So he didn't want money. He was not motivated by that. And he didn't want fame either. His ideas he actually help people. Yeah. His ideas brought him a lot of scorn and derision <laughs> from the general public. So like, I love it. If he truly believes all this, he doesn't want any money from it. He's not putting on a, an act for fame or anything. Is he just, is he fucking crazy? I mean, maybe he himself suggested, you know what? I might be. I know that a lot of people think I am. I mean, I don't know. He is. However, however, it doesn't yeah. mean he's not right. Yeah. Yeah. I was crazy for his like, work ethic and not accepting a fucking paycheck. That's what he's crazy for. He's like a character from the Old Testament or something. He's like straight a, up. He's like a biblical character. Straight up. Yeah. Like yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. like Saul, who felt compelled to lay naked in the street or Ezekiel, who was exiled around age 25, felt called to be a prophet five years later on his 30th birthday. Kind of similar to John Murray. Yeah. From the Universalist who was exiled and then came into his calling or John Murray Spears. You know? Yeah. And God came to Ezekiel in weird fucking ways. 
Or which which one's that? Oh, the wheel. The wheel. The yeah. Fucking mm-hmm. wheel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he had been a priest living in Jerusalem. Right. But then the Babylonians attacked and Ezekiel was part of the wave of prisoners taken into exile. And, you know, it's five years later and God's like, so Ezekiel, I want you to preach against all of these other people in exile with you. They're not going to agree with you. Okay. Even though they're your comrades, predict the fall of Jerusalem. Nobody's going to listen to you, but just keep going. Okay. Just like nobody's going to believe you, but just do it. Okay. Yeah. Great. Thanks God. Um, Ezekiel gets this vision of like the clouds opening it up. There's this storm cloud approaching, but it's not an ordinary cloud. This reminds me of the movie Nope too, the beginning of it. Haven't seen it yet. Um, The storm cloud is approaching and he says it's like gleaming metal or kashmai, which is a Hebrew word only ever used once within the text, just by Ezekiel too, because it needs a unique word to describe this thing. Okay. It's terrifying. It's glorious. It's unlike anything ever seen by anyone ever before. And it's these four strange creatures ah. that are standing, facing out in all four directions, kind of like in a, in a square. And they have these big wings that are all touching each other. So they're making this like shape with their wings as they're all standing, facing out. And each of these creatures has four faces that are all facing yeah, yeah. four directions, a human face, a lion face, ox face, eagle face. And there's also a wheel by each creature and the wings are flapping and they're loud. They sound like a fucking army. And on top of their wings, they're carrying a platform with a, a throne and a, a shining human like figure on top of it. And Ezekiel calls this the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. It sounds fucking crazy. Oh, yeah. It sounds fucking insane. Psychedelic bullshit. So John Spear, he's like, you know, we're going to talk more about, we haven't even hardly gotten into any of the the more silly, insane stuff. He's kind of like an Old Testament prophet. He's speaking out against his society. Yeah. A society unwilling to listen. He's having these, these crazy realizations and visions, experiencing mystical things. And he's a man alone. Yeah. A man. Uh... But he's guided by God. You know, he always he never took personal responsibility for any of the healings that he did. He always yeah, felt yeah. that it was God acting through him. Like there's even um, I'm just going to bring this up now because I think it's so interesting when he receives the message from these associations of these famous dead people. Yeah. When they sign off their names, Benjamin Franklin puts his last, even though like he's arguably one of the most important and famous. Sure. And so John kind of like asks uh, his spirit, you know, why did you sign your name last? And he says, well, I was already so important and well known. I didn't have to go first. I'd rather let someone else go first. And I felt like, you know, whether or not that's a real spirit interaction. If or, it's not, or if it John's came, subconscious. If it's John's subconscious, and I think that it is, that says a lot about him. It does. You know? Like yeah. he doesn't he doesn't want the glory. No. No, I think he wants to do good. Yeah. Wants to see good being done. So what do we think about the sun? Oh, I think a lot about the sun. I think it's a perfect card. Yeah. Uh the sun is It's a happy little naked boy on top of a white horse just riding forward. Sun is shining bright. The sunflowers are tall. The sun also burns too. Yeah, it sure does. I mean, the sun is the uh, it, it it gives life. It's necessary for life. It makes plants grow. Mm-hmm. Gives that vitamin D. 
But it can also burn the shit out of you. Yeah. It's a giant nuclear explosion. I like that there's a child on on this card. Yeah. The child riding the horse. Because also in many descriptions of John Spear, he is referred to time and time again as childlike. Interesting. And not as an insult against him either, but right. almost as a testament to his credibility. Innocence. Yeah. Yeah. The sun is on the path from Hod to Yesod, uh, from sphere eight to sphere nine. And that is splendor. The uh, kind of Hod is sort of the sphere of um, Mercury, mm-hmm. uh, kind of the intellect. Um, you know, it's the, uh, it's, 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 uh, sorry, way to explain it. Like it's on the, the, the pillar of severity goes Bina, then fucking Gebera, and then Hode. Mm-hmm. So like the material universe as a whole into fucking Gebera, which is Mars, like destruction, fighting, violent, like action, you know, yeah. that sort of shit into Hode, which can like almost be seen as, seen as the planning of that. The strategizing of action. Uh-huh. From uh, Hod to Yasod, foundation. Well, Yasod is the sphere of the moon, the subconscious. The, mm-hmm. uh, it's, so the sun is sort of this, a, a guiding principle. It's interesting that the the path between Netzach and Yasod is the star. Yeah. Whereas these are two sort of different guiding principles. Uh-huh. The star is a bit more impersonal. Right, I, I would feel a bit more universal, whereas the sun is very is strikes me as rather, rather personal, mm-hmm. rather forceful in a way, and you can kind of see how John Murray Spears' life was kind of guided and directed personally by some. It wasn't like the star is something you move towards, right? Right. The sun is something that moves you. Yes. You know, it's so interesting to me that even within his own uh, channeled letters having Benjamin Franklin sign his name last because Ben didn't want to take all the glory and wanted to let someone else go first. Yeah. It's exactly fucking it's it. It creates like the, a spiral effect because by having Benjamin Franklin be the person responsible for these ideas, John Spear isn't even giving himself credit. Right, 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 right. His name last. He's putting God's name first. He's putting the association's names before his. It's all of these other great names, these great accomplished people before me that are channeling through me. He can't even take credit for his own greatness. I mean, the best ideas feel like they come from somewhere else. Yeah. They always do. And I I like that. That's a rare quality in a person that I... Humility? Yes, pathological humility yes <laughs> yeah like, he he always felt he he's like a vessel yeah you know like a vessel for god a vessel for spirituality and he thought that maybe he could build a vessel through that the divine spirit could work through as well and i think that that actually is extremely prophetic of him to try well we haven't talked about yeah, what we haven't talked yeah. about yet. Like, it literally is so prophetic for this man to try and build a machine that could come to life. Yeah. And like... And fix everything. And f- yeah. Which is a wrong-headed idea. Right. But I'm sympathetic towards the man. Right. So what if he could build a vessel of God? And what if his pal Franklin, who led him to the woman struck by lightning, what if he was going to help? I mean, we already know who it is, but you know... Yeah. That's funny, signed Franklin. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so... um, And the lightning thing, too. Yeah. Yeah. Does he right. try to animate this machine with lightning? No. I still don't know. I'll learn later. Yeah. Okay. Oh, boy. 
So yeah, that's where we'll pick back up next week. Holy shit. Yeah. Cool. I'm, I'm really excited to see where this goes. This is a story I knew nothing about. And, uh, yeah, it's a fun time period. We, we go there every now and then on the nonsense bazaar. Yes. Back to the 1800s every now and then. Every now and then. And it's fun. It's kind of fun to be there. It's interesting. It's fun every time. Yeah. 1800s is a stupid, stupid time period. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I guess we never talk about the civil war either. Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Wasn't so fun. No, not fun at all. (laughs) Oh God. All right. That about does her. That about does it. All right. Yeah. So um, check us out on the things. Yes. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We're most active on uh, in that order, probably. I should post more fun pictures on Instagram. We also have a Patreon where you can find exclusive bonus episodes. Mm-hmm. Where we talk about half-baked ideas and wild shit and connect things to things and all this stuff. I think we have three bonus episodes up. And for $5 a month, you get access to all that. And we really appreciate it. It keeps the show afloat. I don't, you know, we didn't want, we don't really want to commit to never doing any uh, advertisements or anything, but I don't like advertisements. Me either. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So yeah. Yeah. We'd appreciate it. Sign patreon.com slash nonsense bizarre. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for being cool, for, uh, for being yourselves in this mean old world. Mm-hmm. And keeping it groovy. Yeah. Thanks for keeping it groovy. Uh, give us a rating review if you want to. We appreciate that too. Sure thing. Take care of yourselves. Take care. Peace Peace out.